Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up and pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck. To hear the good news through grunts and with grunts, in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 93 The Lord is king, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he is girded with strength. He has established the world, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. More majestic than the thunders of mighty waters, more majestic than the waves of the sea, majestic on high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Acts 27, verses 39 through 44. In the morning they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied the steering oars then hoisted the foresail to the wind. They made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Good morning and welcome to the sixth Monday of Eastertide. This is Brother Logan Isaac 
broadcasting from the Homewood Suites by Hilton in beautiful Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, This morning's readings come to us from uh, Psalm 93, Genesis 9, and Acts 27. Uh, And uh, I'm sorry I missed uh, several days last week. Uh, As as those of you who follow uh, regularly know, uh, I've taken a full-time temporary position decontaminating masks, um, N95 masks, to be returned to hospitals to kind of blunt the the problem of the shortage of N95 masks. Um, and uh, just by chance, I've been assigned to Baltimore where I live less than an hour away or about an hour away. And it's probably the closest, yeah, I think it probably is the closest site like it to where I already live, so that's kind of nice. Um, the, the readings this morning in Genesis 9, I did want to point out, I didn't know the NRSV did this. In Genesis 9, I'm sure you've heard of the, of the, the story of the rainbow and, and Noah, um, seeing, uh, the rainbow in the sky, um, after the, the dove had returned to him, indicating the flood was over. And here we, we get this reminder of God's promise uh, sometimes called the Noahic promise um, or covenant, the Noahic covenant. And that's basically God saying, look, I'm not going to destroy the world by a flood uh, ever again. And there's a song, I think it's a Johnny Cash song that says, well, it'll be by fire next time. But the reminder of that promise between God and all creatures on the earth from that point forward, so including us, the rainbow is what uh, represents that promise. And in some translations, it says rainbow, but that's a, a compound word that the Hebrew doesn't, doesn't actually contain. Um, the Hebrew word is keshet, which is just an archer's bow. Um, God says, I will place my bow, my bow and arrow bow, my archer's bow, I will place it in the sky, and whenever I see it, I will be reminded that I will never destroy the world by, by water again, or destroy creatures by water. Um, and the, sim, the symbolism of that is really rich. And a lot of Christian theologians in, in history have said um, that it's a, uh, a foreshadowing of God sacrificing God's self on the cross. Um, and that's because this archer's bow is aimed upward, at God, and it's a drawn bow, I imagine, because it's you know it's pretty um, uh, sharp angle usually. And this rain bow, this archer's bow made by the rain falling during sunny weather, when the light catches it just right, that's a reminder that the that God will adopt the suffering. God will forego the suffering that He might impose. Um, in consequence of our own misdeeds, um, God will take it on the chin um, rather than um, punish creatures for creatures' own, for their own um, deeds, their, their, their tendency to do evil. But even more um, you know, noteworthy for Christian soldiers is this reading from Acts 27 and the the reminder that the military is uh, was created for and can still be used for a force for good. 
So the centurion, the commander, the officer on the boat, this naval officer, I think his name is Felix or Julius. I can't remember. It might be Julius. Felix, I think, comes later in Paul's, Paul's story. But anyway, um, they've run aground right off the coast of where they're going, and not everybody can swim. Now, some soldiers thought that, well, they're prisoners, we can't let them escape, and we can't maintain positive control of them, and so we'll just have to kill them to make sure that they don't escape. And that would have been a very complicated moral decision. The centurion says, no, um, we're going to be merciful. We are, um, you know, this, this fellow, Paul, that he's been hanging out with at sea, one of the prisoners, He's had some effect on this commander, on this officer. And this effect is seems morally good, positive, right? Um, the, the centurion wants to save Paul and by extension, um, the rest of the prisoners. And so he says, no, we're not going to kill them. We're going to make sure they get to shore safely. We're gonna take a gamble. They might escape or they might recognize that we're saving their lives and do us a favor as well by not fleeing. And I don't know what these prisoners did. I don't think it ever mentions it. Um, but the whole social dynamic between prisoners and um, guards is just really you know, uh, plainly laid out in the, uh, the Stanford prison experiment. If you're not familiar, uh, Philip Zimbardo, uh, it's somewhat controversial now because he kind of coached the guards and the prisoners, but... I think the effect is still, or the, the message is still fairly clear that um, we, we inhabit these roles. The captors act out, or I'm sorry, the, the, the prisoners act out and the guards respond with force. And this is typical. This is how humans more or less do things unless there's some strong positive influence like Christian Paul. Um, and the centurion doesn't, I don't, they have, not here, but later, um, they, they share something like a communion meal. Paul, uh, they, they eat together and Paul says something vaguely reminiscent of what um, priests say before they consecrate communion or Eucharist. But I don't know that the centurion or any of the prisoners or any of the, the, the guards, the Roman guards, I don't know if any of them were baptized or became Christian. But it's this scene in which um, the, the moral authority of Christianity, if it's to survive, if it's to exist, must be represented in acts like this, where we, we break out of these roles that we give ourselves. We forget what we're told it's supposed to mean to be the thing that society tells us we are. You say I'm a prisoner, but I can also, and am also, a human. I'm a human being first. And human beings are created good. Uh, I may be a, a, a guard. Um, you know, I may be an enforcement officer of some kind. But I'm also human, and so are my prisoners. And though our responsibilities are different, the expectations are different, I can put my human humanness, my humanity, before whatever, you know, expectations are put on me about being, a, a you know, a, a law enforcement officer. 
um, and especially in a time when here in, in our country, and I think in many countries throughout history, that role has become so corrupt where it not only makes us forget that we're also humans and that we have real uh, responsibilities both to our nation or our, our, our country or our community, but also to one another as human beings. Um, I think of the, the recent um, the headlines about Arbery. I can't remember his first name. Um, Ahmed Arbery, I can't remember. Um, where this retired police officer just went out of the way to try and be a police officer, even though he wasn't. And not to be a, a, a morally responsible police officer, but to be uh, a kind of overkill, gung-ho police officer that had he been in uniform, had he been a legitimate civil authority acting under the authority of the community, he still would have been exceeding any semblance of responsible power. Um, and I think of soldiers um, who lose sight of the fact that as soldiers we serve, uh, we stand ready to give our lives far more quickly than to take lives, where the military, because of the culture that has that it has kind of created as a as a self you know the military community is is almost self ratifying because we're there's so few of us, and it's typically our own families that then do this thing you know, military service, and so we lose sight of that connected connectedness, the engagement and investment and belonging with our community, whether that's our nation and its values or our our neighborhood and its own you know kind of um, tensions and and issues um we, we lose sight of that. And Paul, um, uh, besides writing a lot of really influential letters, was also the kind of person that could remind human beings that whatever it is that society called them, they could also be, and they could primarily be, human beings who acted with empathy and compassion um, and, and wisdom uh, before acting um, acting on our, our fears and our roles um, that people and society tells us are necessary, even if they aren't merciful or just. Reconciliation, a poem by Siegfried Sassoon. When you are standing at your hero's grave or near some homeless village where he died, remember, through your heart's rekindling pride, the German soldiers who were loyal and brave. Men fought like brutes and hideous things were done, and you have nourished hatred, harsh and blind. But in that Golgotha, perhaps you'll find the mothers of the men who killed your son. Thank you for falling in to First Formation, where PewPewHQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, 
you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation slash support. You can sponsor Morning Prayer for Pew Pew People with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a weekday lectionary reading yourself and sending it to me to be included in an episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts will be provided to you directly, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in first formation in this or any way. Finally, and most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a recording app of your choice. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously, if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in morning prayers for pew-pew people. I hope you'll continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.